I love the Macy's Mother's Day gift guide. I use it. It has the perfect gift to make all moms feel special. You can shop by price. You can shop by category. They have gift lists. You know, they have a list for the mom who has everything, one for grandma. And you can get top gifts like the Coach Floral Printed Leather Cassie Crossbody Bag. I love a crossbody bag. Or the thing that my mom loved more than anything, the Le Creuset Shallot Dutch Oven. Shop at Macy's.com slash gift finder. If you love tequila cocktails, then check out the award-winning 21 Seeds Infused Tequila. It's a -a one-of-a-kind tequila that is infused with the juice of real fruit. So it's Smooth, it's not sweet, it smells fresh and bright, and it tastes incredible. 21 Seeds makes the most delicious and easy margaritas and cocktails so you can focus on the fun, like game night with your besties. With 21 Seeds, you only need two or three ingredients to make your perfect cocktail. Try 21 Seeds infused tequila. Learn more at 21seeds.com. Enjoy responsibly. 21 Seeds, Diageo, New York, New York. Jenna Fisher. And I'm Angela Kinsey. We were on The Office together. And we're best friends. And now we're doing the Ultimate Office Rewatch podcast just for you. Each week, we will break down an episode of The Office and give exclusive behind-the-scenes stories that only two people who were there can tell you. We're The Office Ladies. Hello. Hi, everyone. It is Money Part 2 today. Second half of money. Second half of money. We got lots to cover. It's season four, episode eight, written by Paul Lieberstein, directed by Paul Lieberstein. Angela, I'm coming in hot today and I'm coming in right with a summary. Are you ready? Yeah. No banter. No banter at the top. Okay. Here we go. All right. In Money Part One, we found out that Michael has money troubles. He Mm -hmm. had to take a second job as a telemarketer. Meanwhile, Pam and Jim visited Shroot Farms, which Dwight has started operating as a bed and breakfast. And Andy serenaded Angela in hopes of winning her heart. Well, this week, Michael works with Oscar to try and get himself out of debt. Andy continues to pursue Angela and Kelly flaunts her new relationship with Daryl in front of Ryan, who really just wants everyone in the office to use PowerPoint. PowerPoint, PowerPoint, PowerPoint. (laughs) Michael just thinks it's like a cheer from cheerleading camp. He's literally powerfully pointing his finger as he says it. Yep. All right. Well, fast fact number one, we mentioned last week that this was the first episode that was directed by Paul Lieberstein. But I discovered in my research this week, Angela, that he was nominated for an Emmy Award for directing this episode. His first episode. Wow. Where do you go from there? You're like, I crushed it. I'm done. Yeah, pretty much. Well, here's something crazy. He was up against Paul Feig, who was nominated for directing the season four finale, Goodbye Toby, but they both lost. Aww. To Barry Sonnenfeld for Pushing Daisies. Oh, I mean, Barry is a fantastic director. I know. Well, dang it. We had a Paul versus Paul. Yes. Who would have won? I would have been able to choose between those two guys. Yes, maybe better. Maybe better. You know, for our sake, because it's about us. <laughs> maybe better. You know why? Because you know, Rain would have made fun of the loser Paul. There would have been winner <laughs> Paul and loser Paul. You know, Rain would have done that. You're so right. All right, lady, fast fact number two. This episode introduces the relationship between Kelly and Daryl. 
And I have to tell you, this was a very popular storyline with fans. Oh, people loved this. Loved it. I love it. Me too. I love how like no nonsense Daryl is and (laughs) it spirals Kelly out. She does not know how to handle his just direct, honest, no game playing. Yeah. Well, it started a number of debates online. There was Kelly and Daryl versus Kelly and Ryan. There was a very short-lived Carol. Carol. Mashup of Kelly and Daryl. Carol with a K. People made jokes. Who will last longer, Carol or Carol? If you remember Michael's girlfriend, Carol. Oh. Yes. So this was just really, really fun to see this relationship play out. It was mostly like a revenge date, I think. On Kelly's part, but she also think (laughs) (laughs) you think I mean, she literally Daryl has a whole talking head where he says, you know, I get excited when I see the little dude come in the office because that's when she pays attention to me. But she also does seem like a little taken with him. But guys, the thing about this and a lot of people pointed this out online is like, finally, there's a man who's treating her well and she can't deal like she is attracted to the drama. She is attracted to Ryan. Ryan is as well. This is their downfall. We will see it play out over several seasons. Well, we all know couples like this. Come on. You have that friend who was always attracted to the guy that made her a total mess, right? Yeah. And vice versa, right? Dudes as well. Yep. And you'd be like, what about that other person who's so incredibly nice to you? And they're like, no, I want the person that makes me crazy. Yeah, pretty much. Well, there are great Kelly and Daryl scenes in this episode, but there was a deleted one I loved. It happens towards the end, but um, it's <laughs> I'll 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 wait till we get there. But it's Kelly trying to make amends. Oh, oh, that sounds great. Oh, I can't wait for that. All right, lady. Fast fact number three. I don't know if you remember Angela, but right around the time that we were filming this episode, Steve Carell won Best TV Actor at the Teen Choice Awards. No, I didn't remember that. Well, you know, you win a surfboard. That's the award. That's the award statue is a giant, colorful surfboard. Now, Steve had won a Golden Globe. Yeah. And we had won the SAG Award. But this was different. Our show had won an Emmy. Our show had won an Emmy. But this was like you've hit the mainstream. This was a big deal. To give you some context, here are the previous winners in Steve's category. Okay. In the years prior. Matt LeBlanc for Friends. Ashton Kutcher, Wilmer Valderrama for That 70s Show. Then Steve won. After that, the Jonas Brothers won. I'm telling you, this was like Steve is a bona fide star. He's a star. I mean, if the teens are voting for you, come on. Yes. Well, I kind of noticed, Ange, that I feel like right around this time for all of us on The Office, this is when I feel like our lives started to change And we are about to enter what I am calling our Hollywood years. (laughs) We start having the most crazy experiences. Yeah. I mean, I remember I was standing in line for this party we'd been invited to. And standing in front of me are Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci. Yeah. I'm waiting in a line with those guys to get into a party. And I remember looking at you and being like, what is happening right now? Jenna, I remember being at a party during the award show season. Brad Pitt was there. Oh, yeah. And Angelina Jolie. Yeah. And uh, Leo DiCaprio. <laughs> like, 
Like, I don't know him, guys. By the way, I didn't talk to any of them. No. Because I was terrified. I danced in the corner with Jenna and Oscar and Jack McBrayer. That's what we did. Well, I just remember at this time, I was constantly calling home to tell my parents all the crazy stuff that was happening to us. And this was also when we started going on talk shows, remember? And that was a whole new world. I remember, Angela, you were the first female cast member of The Office to go on David Letterman. Oh, my gosh. I was so nervous, you guys. I was so nervous. I had the runs <laughs> that morning. <laughs> Such an overshare. <laughs> I was so nervous. And David Letterman was so, like, kind. And his whole team there was so... It's like they knew I was about to poop my pants or something. <laughs> I was so thrilled. I was such a fan of his that my sister took a photo of the TV of me on Letterman and I have it in a frame. Like that that's before anything was like on the internet, you know? Yes. So she took a picture of my TV. Well, it was just such a crazy time. And Ange, I am so grateful that I got to go through all of that with you because I feel like we had the same reaction to all of this. We were so tickled to be invited. We loved to gossip with each other about everything we saw. And then the next day we woke up and we went to Target and we bought things to make a wreath. <laughs> and our lives went on. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. I, I Yeah. Well, listen, when you feel like you're a fish out of water and you look over your shoulder and your best friend is that same fish out of water, you know you're going to be OK. You know, it's like that fancy toilet that was like, <laughs> remember, it was like a porta potty, but it was like the fanciest porta potty I'd ever seen. And you and I couldn't get over it. We were geeking out over this fancy porta potty. And I'm sure people were like, okay, ladies. And we're like, it's got lights inside. Yes, this is a thing. When they have these parties, they bring in these fancy toilets, you guys. We couldn't like, stop talking about We it. took pictures of it. We, we scrapbooked about oh it. Oh my gosh. It had like a porcelain sink and it has music playing in it. Remember, yes. somehow they funneled music into this fancy porta potty. I'd never seen anything like it. This was the stuff we documented. Meanwhile, like other cast members on the show are like literally toasting champagne with Brad Pitt. And we're over taking <laughs> photos of the porta potty and well, we can't stop talking about it. We're like the thing you need to see. The thing we're writing home about tonight <laughs> is this toilet. I talked in great detail with my dad about that. And he was like, do you have a pedal you push? I'm like, yes, dad. But it's still fancy. Oh, my gosh. I knew we were meant to be friends when we had to take photos with the porta potty. <laughs> Same. Well, listen, guys, we will have more stories coming up because, like I said, this did kick off a very fancy part of our lives. And it's been fun to go through my old photos and these archives. And I've earmarked a few more stories to tell. Oh, I can't wait. By the way, every time you say I've gone through my archives, I don't know why. Maybe it's because I'm loopy today. I just picture you like in that final scene of Raiders of the Lost Ark, <laughs> that somewhere in your garage, you have all these boxes and you're like, beep, beep, and like a little mini crane <laughs> going. Well, if only I could be that organized, it would be my dream come true. Oh, you would be so happy. All right. We will take a break and we will be back to dive into Money Part 2. So this winter, we went on a little ski trip with another family, and we got an Airbnb, which was so wonderful, right? Because you can make your own breakfast in the morning. We could even go there for lunch to warm up. 
Listen, I always want a kitchen with kids. Yep. I don't want to call room service for some sliced apples. I want to have my groceries. I need a kitchen. Yes. Well, this is why doing the Airbnb thing was so perfect. Yep. Well, this family we were staying with told us that they listed their house on Airbnb back in California. Oh, that's so smart. I know a lot of people that do this. It's like, oh, we want to go to Disneyland. We can Airbnb our place and then use that money to go. It pays for your trip. Yep. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm loving Hungry Root. Oh my gosh, yes, Jenna, we're loving Hungry Root too. They've got fresh produce, high-quality meat and seafood, snacks, smoothies, sweets, ready-to-eat meals, kids' snacks and meals— and vitamins and supplements. Well, I took the quiz over on Hungry Root, and oh my gosh, they nailed it. One of the things that I really wanted was I wanted a salmon dish that was quick and easy. I said I wanted to cook food in less than 12 minutes. I was very ambitious. This was one of the choices, and they sent me a miso salmon that, oh my goodness, it blew my mind. And it was easy. It was maybe five ingredients. So tasty, so fresh. I loved it. Right now, Hungry Root is offering Office Ladies listeners 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. Just go to HungryRoot.com slash Office Ladies to get 40% off your first delivery and get your free veggies. That's HungryRoot.com slash Office Ladies. Don't forget to use our link so they know we sent you. When you travel, do you ever think like, oh, no, I hope I locked up. Did I leave a window open? Things like that. Well, that's why you should invest in Simply Safe home security today. Simply Safe was named best home security system in 2024 by the US News and World Report, and Newsweek ranked it best customer service in home security. Well, you all have heard me talk about Simply Safe because it really is simple and it does make me feel safe. We went through the website and we picked exactly what we needed for our home. That's what I really like is you can customize what you need to fit your living space, you know? I love our Simply Safe. Simply Safe has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com/officeladies. That's simplysafe.com/officeladies. There's no safe like Simply Safe. All right, we are back. Money part two. We are starting with the scene where a very tired Pam is at front reception. She's yawning. Jim is yawning. Dwight walks in yawning. Everyone's kind of had a rough night. And Jim says to Dwight, and I wrote this down because it just goes with that argument of when people try to be nice to Dwight or Angela, it almost always backfires on them. Yes. Jim very nicely says, you okay to Dwight, right? Dwight says, I am better than you have ever been or ever will be. There you go. There you go. Okay, Dwight. Okay. Yeah. And not only that, Pam and Jim just stayed at Dwight's B&B. That's why they're tired. They've just done this incredibly (laughs) nice thing for him. But no, it has gained them no favor in Dwight's eyes. He still has a snarky remark. But listen, they're not the only people who are tired. Angela Michael is also very tired from working two jobs. He's very, very sleepy. He's very sleepy. 
on the wrong day because now Ryan has showed up. Oh, yeah. He's expecting Michael to do a PowerPoint presentation. It's it's really clear very quickly that Michael has not prepared at all and has no idea what he's doing. And Ryan confronts him. And this is when we find out. Well, the bullpen finds out, right, that Michael has another job. That's right. And Ryan tells him, Michael, you cannot have a second job if it affects your work at Dunder Mifflin. And Michael responds to this, you guys, it made me laugh so hard. He says, let's face it, I was never going to learn how to do this anyway. (laughs) Yeah, which is so honest. It's so true. I just laughed at the honesty. It's so true. And then Ryan looks to the back row and he sees Daryl. Well, he hears Kelly laughing, like forced laughter to totally get him to look over. Yes. And he says, what's Daryl doing here? Get out of this meeting. Mm -hmm. Daryl's like, fine, happy to leave. Oh, yeah, this, I don't need to be here for this. And Kelly's like, okay, I'll see you later. And he's like, I have plans later. (laughs) It's like so honest with her. It cracks me up. But I want you to know that smooch that they have. Yeah. If you go to 20 minutes, 35 seconds, you guys, I took a picture of it. John Krasinski is full on breaking. He's doing that weird puffy cheek thing when you break and you're trying to turn away. He's looking at you, and he is losing it. Well, Angela, if you look, it is you, then John, then me. Mm -hmm. This should never be allowed in a conference. You should never seat the three of us in a line. No. Because I have a sense memory of leaning forward and talking to you over John. Oh, but also the three of us would go. I'm turning the other way because I can't look at you guys. I know. Like, I've positioned my body away. John is laughing, and you are like, look like you're on the verge. Yeah. No, I remember we were a mess during this whole scene. <laughs> we were we were a mess, but this scene is so brilliant. After I watched the scene, I texted Paul, and I said, Paul, this is perfection. You know, he fought for this scene, this whole whomever, whoever. Yep. He fought for it. He loved it. And I love every beat of this conference room scene. It's so funny, Angela. Did he tell you that I texted him about whomever, whoever? (laughs) No, I didn't even. I just texted him and told him it was perfection. I did the same thing. And he told me that there was like a vote in the writer's room to cut it. There was a lot of pressure on him to cut that runner, and he really felt like it should stay in, and he's really glad he did because that's the clip they ended up playing at the SAG Awards when we were nominated that year. It was the whoever, whomever scene. How cool is that? It's so good, and it's become truly like one of the little classic moments. And also, I just feel like I know you and I say this all the time, but Office Ladies fans, you love the show as much as we do. And I just feel like these kind of scenes were never allowed to breathe on other shows. They would succumb to network pressure or whatever. And this huge, long scene where we talk about whomever and whoever, it just wouldn't have happened on another show. I believe that. Well, we got a lot of mail about this scene, people wanting to know how it managed to be in the episode. I'm just going to give them a shout out. Thank you, Grace H., Alima H., and Ty Owens for writing in about whoever, whomever. Well, I have a great way to remember which to use, whoever or whomever. What is it? I think it's really simple. I'm going to read it for you. It's online, you know, so you can find this out there in the world, but it's what's always helped me. Ready? Yeah. Whomever is an object pronoun and works like the pronouns him, her, and them. For example, give the document to whomever in the department. 
So if you just are thinking in your head, is it whomever or whoever, you would just in your head say, give the document to him in the department or give the document to her in the department. See? Or whomever. Or whomever. Whereas whoever is a subject pronoun and works like the pronouns he, she, and they. For example, whoever wrote this poem should win a prize. You could substitute, he wrote this poem and should win a prize. She wrote this poem and should win a prize. Oh, do you hear it? So just attach whomever to him, her, and them, and attach whoever to he, she, and they hmm. in your head. Hmm. <laughs> I thought that was really helpful. I, I'm feeling a little bit of a uh, hmm, but I thought no, it was very helpful. You know what it is? I have to say, this one has just always stumped me. Uh-huh. And I just actively avoid having to use either. <laughs> Well, I thought that was very helpful. I'm wondering if what you've told me now is going to become the turning point for me. And for the rest of this year, you're just going to hear a lot of whomevers and whoevers from me because it will have finally clicked after 46 years. It's like the year my teacher told me how to spell Wednesday because I kept spelling it wrong. And she was like, just write Wednesday. And I was like, Wednesday. <laughs> you know what word I can't spell? ever, and it's a real challenge, especially when you become a new parent, is the word diarrhea. I was going to say, is it diarrhea? Yeah. Because it's it's a confusing word. It's very difficult to spell, mm -hmm. and you have to text it a lot to your mom friends when you have a baby. Yeah. You really do. Diarrhea comes up a lot as a new parent, mm -hmm. and I have a hard time with it. Also, nausea can be a little bit difficult for me. Nausea, nauseousness. Mm -hmm. Nausea is just gnaw and see. N-A-U-S-E-A. -E I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but diarrhea is really, you know. It's a tricky one. It's yeah. Tricky Having one. it, spelling it, none of it's great. All right. Shall we get back to the episode? Yeah, we maybe should. All right. Michael has to quit the job. You know, Ryan has said to him, you cannot work two jobs. It's affecting this one. So Michael goes to Mr. Figaro to quit. This is such a great scene. He's so perfectly cast. Michael says to the camera crew, you are filming history. Yeah. Because he doesn't, you know, he doesn't quit things. I love Mr. Figaro's response. He says, you know, sanitize your headset before you go and you're welcome back anytime. And he barely looks up. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I worked as a telemarketer. And I must have quit and rejoined this job three times when I had it. It's a revolving door. They're not expecting like longevity. Anyone who had been in the office for more than a month was considered like a senior employee. Oh, yeah. It, it was actually very difficult to get fired from those places. Like you would have had to try really hard. It's true. One of the things he's selling with Mr. Figaro is lipofedrin, a diet pill. Yep. I looked it up. It's not real, right? Not in the U.S. Wait, what? what? <laughs> okay. I found a website in Austria that says it's selling lipofedrin. Did they name it after our episode? Because I don't, I don't know. I'm don't, pretty sure. Listen, I don't know anything about it, but I did find it on a website in Austria. Don't take that, guys. Again, our search history for this show. <laughs> it's like... What is Angela doing on an Austrian website? Okay. Well, back in the office, Andy has gone up to Pam's desk. He really wants Pam to set him up with Angela because his moves are not working. Hold up. 
I have a few things to say about this. First of all, at 23 minutes, 18 seconds, you would have thought, ladies, if I knew a whole bit of a scene with someone checking out my ass that I would have worn Spanx and not my granny panties because at 23 minutes, 18 seconds, Andy's checking out my butt and I sashay by and you see big old panty lines. Listen, Ange, that's reality. That's just, it's a documentary. It's a documentary. Why didn't I look at the script and say, oh yeah, today's the day they shoot Andy looking at my butt. They're going to zoom in on my butt. Maybe I shouldn't have the bottom of the barrel undies, the laundry day undies. Let me tell you something. What? I wear laundry day undies every day. All right. You know why? (laughs) Because they're effing comfortable. And you know what I don't need in my day while I'm trying to be a boss lady and get things done? Is a wedgie. I don't need a wedgie. I don't need a string of panty up my butt just so that when I am walking around, people don't see a line on my thigh that lets them know that I'm, oh, shocker, wearing underwear today. Why do women always have to disguise the fact that we wear underwear? Who cares if you see a line on our butt from our underwear that we're wearing every day? Surprise. I am clearly on your side. I clearly wear granny panties. I'm just saying, if I had known forever in time, the shot of my ass walking by was going to, you know, be featured, maybe, maybe I would have picked a different pair that day. No. That's all I'm saying. I applaud you for your panty line. I think it's boss lady of you and feminist (laughs) of you. Ladies, display your panty line with pride. Because you are comfortable, your butt is covered, your lady bits are covered, and you are getting done. You know what that panty line says? What? I don't give a sh**. <laughs> that panty line says, I have more important things to worry about than your viewing of my ass as I walk by you. <laughs> That's what it says. Pockets and panty lines are what I stand for. All right? <laughs> So moving us along, because we're very passionate about this, but Andy says Angela's not responding to his moves. Guess what his moves are? <laughs> I know. He moonwalked past accounting 10 times. Would have loved to have seen that. I know. I wish we had B-roll of that. I know. Well, there's a lot of deleted scenes. Andy has a whole runner that's very funny about how he's trying to court Angela. He actually goes over to accounting and invites her to a JV lacrosse tournament like at the junior high. And that's kind of a funny scene. But then he goes around to everyone in the office, not just Pam, and hits them up and is kind of inappropriate with what he's sharing. And I had Sam pull two clips. Sam, will you play the first one? Look, you guys are my closest friends in this office. Right back at you. And as such, I come State to your you, business. I am dying of love sickness and horny sickness. That isn't possible. Unless you mean gonorrhea. I'm talking about Angela. Okay, <laughs> so he's gone to Jim and Dwight. He doesn't stop there. Now, Phyllis gets involved. Sam, will you play that one? I am itching all over with Angela Pox. Oh my God, you do have gonorrhea. Hey, Andy. Maybe this is one of those situations where you just have to do her to get her out of your system. Stay out of this, you. <laughs> Phyllis! Phyllis! What the hell, Phyllis, sass? 
deleted scenes. It's a really good batch deleted scenes for this episode on the DVD. Well, I don't know if you noticed, but we had some people write in. Matt C. and Jessica Hernandez says, when Andy is asking Pam for advice about Angela, was Ed Helms directed to stand like that? Do you know what they're talking about? Oh, when he does almost the splits? Yes. Yes. Oh, so gross. No, you guys, that was just Ed Helms. Ed just made that choice and it cracked me up and I broke several times because it was very funny. He's just trying to get to like Pam's eye to eye level. And it was a very, very funny choice. In the DVD commentary, Jen Salata and Paul Lieberstein talk about the fact that Jen had written Andy very sweet, you know, Uh like trying to court Angela. And then Paul wrote Andy just trying to get laid. (laughs) And there's this like kind of mix. But they said it works. It's it works. It's like Andy can be really nice, but then he's also just such a tool sometimes. Yes. Well, I noticed something in this scene. At 23 minutes, 58 seconds, I'm calling it rope bracelet alert. Oh. Andy is wearing one of those nautical rope bracelets on his wrist. They were very popular in the 80s. I remember people wearing them. Do you remember that? Yeah. Well, I had to know more. So I did a tiny deep dive on these rope bracelets. And here's what I found out. What'd you find out? It's called a Turk's head bracelet. It is a sailor's knot. And according to the website Mystic Knot Work, it is traditionally made of a single strand of cord that is then doubled up upon itself. And captains in Newport would often have their crew wear matching bracelets to help the dock master recognize them as they approached the dock. It's also said that sailors wore these bracelets so they could wipe sweat from their brow. And they sometimes made them as good luck gifts for their loved ones back home. But I thought it was such an appropriate choice for Andy, since he is a sailor, for him to be wearing. But we don't really talk about it much. It's just been hinted at. I mean, it's going to come out much more in later seasons. But I thought this was a very well-placed detail. Yes. One of the things they talked about, I, I can't remember which DVD commentary it was, but Ed and Mike Schur talked about how much thought they put into Andy's look. Because he is sort of that East Coast prep school, go sailing, you know, kind of crowd. And that they really dressed him. His ties are different from the other guys and his accessories. He has that sailor's bracelet. Yeah. Is that what you call it? Sailor's knot. Sailor's knot. Yeah. So now Michael is going to approach Kevin because he needs money. And he's like, you know, he knows Kevin gambles. And he's wondering if Kevin has like any in on a fixed fight. Michael basically (laughs) describes a movie, right? Yes. He goes into way more detail about why someone would like throw a fight. And Kevin's like, no, I don't know anyone in the mob. So then he turns to Oscar and he's like, I need an advance. But there's also a deleted scene that would have come here where he hits up Phyllis at the water cooler for money. And it's so awkward and cringy. It's in the deleted scenes. Well, this just starts this amazing back and forth with Oscar, where Oscar is going to start coaching Michael or trying to help Michael with his finances. Oh, it's so good. 
They talked a little bit on the DVD commentary about what brought this whole dynamic up. And Mike said that they were looking at characters that hadn't been utilized. They felt like they hadn't seen enough of Oscar. And they loved how Oscar was always so pragmatic and Michael so irrational. Mm -hmm. And so they thought this would be a great time to utilize the character of Oscar. It's so good. It's really good. I loved that about our show and that we had this deep bench of talent and that the writers would consider, oh, who could we pair up? Who haven't we heard from in a little while? Whose history or story should we bring to the front this week? It always ends up producing some of my favorite storylines. Me too. It's a very thoughtful way to approach writing, right? Is like they would look at the big picture of the show and the different chemistry of the characters and dynamics. And I love Oscar and Michael. There's a lot more in the deleted scenes that didn't make it in, but it's just so fun to watch them. Well, speaking of fun to watch, Kelly is going to go to Daryl's office and give him an ultimatum. Oh, God. She wants to know, what are your plans tonight? And he says, I'm spending the evening with my daughter. And then she's like, okay, fine, me or your daughter. And he's just really, matter of fact, is like, uh, my daughter? Yeah. Well, we got a lot of mail about this scene, but it was an interesting thing. Katie Bowman, Kelsey Cundiff, Sarah Ellis, and Brittany McMahon all said in both Daryl's office and in Mr. Figaro's office, there is a flyer on the wall that says Terry's Diner. Is Mm -hmm. this a real place in Scranton? Yes, it is. Did you look it up? Because I looked it up because I noticed it, too. I noticed it, too. Also, it's a yellow flyer. So it's very like it, it catches your eye. Well, first of all, the phone number on the flyer is correct. Oh, no. <laughs> so and still working today. Did you call it? I didn't call it, but I thought maybe we should call it today. Right now? I don't know. <laughs> okay. Why not? Sam, can you call Terry's Diner? Oh, my God. What are we going to say? We haven't talked about this at all. Maybe. Terry's, may I help you? Hi. Hi. This is Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsey from the TV show The Office. We're re-watching the, the show, and we noticed Terry's Diner Flyer in the episode The Money, and we just wanted to call and say hi. Hi. <laughs> Did you guys know that your diner is... Do you really? Do people call? We have people that call all from all over the world. Oh, my gosh. And what is your name? Desiree. Desiree. It's so nice to meet you. What do people say when they call you? Just, is this really a diner? Is this really Terry's? I'm watching and the it, office. Oh, my gosh. Desiree, you're like old hat to this. Well, thank you so much, Desiree, for taking time to talk to us today. We don't want to keep yeah. you from your job, <laughs> but what is the special today? Do you have a daily special? Um, Our blue plate special for today is beer battered cod with a cup of soup, fries, slaw, and tartar sauce. Um, That's our blue plate. Then we have a few lunch specials and dinner specials. Well, that sounds fantastic. And Desiree, will you please tell everyone there we say hi. And I'm sorry, so many people call all the time. We appreciate you guys being such like good sports. Nope, that's fine. No problem. Have a good rest of your day. Have a good day, Desiree. Okay. Bye. 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 Well, there you have it. Oh, my God. She was so lovely. People call all the time. From all over the world. All over the world. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Uh, Maybe our props department should have, like, blacked out the phone number. (laughs) 
now I really want that blue plate special. But okay, back to the scene. Daryl has told Kelly, no, he chooses his daughter, right? She's ticked off. She leaves and she does like a W and an L and then like a knife across the neck, Jenna. Yeah. I looked up what this meant. It means whatever, lose or die, right? That's the consensus. Yeah. I mean, Kelly, he's crossed her and she's going to leave and, you know, with some drama. Well, back upstairs in the break room, everyone's kind of gossiping about Michael's money troubles. It's the gossip room today. Is it gossip in the break room? I think it's gossip in the break room Hot today. Hot goss in the break room. Well, I don't know if you noticed, but there was some very careful staging yes. of people. Because Michael has to enter and not see Pam. Mm-hmm. So you're standing tucked in the corner, and then in between you and Michael is Kevin. So Michael comes in and is like, talking about Jim and Pam's sex life? And then Kevin walks away, revealing Pam. Mm-hmm. And lady, every time it happened and Steve would get that look of awareness in his eyes, it would make me laugh. You were going to make me laugh. It was so funny. And then Michael denies that he's having any money problems. And to prove it, he gets out a $1 bill and he just crumples it up and puts it in his pocket. Would you do that if you were having money problems? Would you? (laughs) And everyone calls him out on it. They're like, wait, you just put it in your pocket. Well, guys, it was originally written in the script that Michael would rip up the dollar bill. But then we found out when we were filming that that's actually against the law. Yeah, you can't do that to money. Yeah, you can't. It's illegal to deface U.S. currency to the point at which it's rendered unusable. And by the way, we wouldn't have just done it once. We would have had to do multiple takes. We would have committed multiple crimes (laughs) in shooting this scene if we had ripped up that dollar bill. Well, I actually think it's funnier that he crumples it up and puts it in his pocket. I I think that's a funnier joke. (laughs) I do, too. I think that was a good thing. After this break room, we have some fantastic Kelly and Daryl, some Carol. We got some Carol coming up. Yes. And Daryl has a classic line in the scene. Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. All right. Say it. He says to Kelly, hey, I like you. What's not to like? But you need to access your uncrazy side. Access your uncrazy side (laughs) went like viral. (laughs) It's a good line. And then Kelly has this amazing talking head where she says, Daryl is the most complicated man she's ever met. I mean, who says exactly what they're thinking? What kind of game is that? Yeah. <laughs> what kind of game is he playing where he just tells me he exactly says how the he feels? Truth. What the hell? She can't believe it. Well, coming up, we have a little fun piece of trivia because we have Creed and Oscar in the kitchen with Michael. This sounds like a game of Clue, right? It does. We have Creed and Oscar and Michael in the kitchen. (laughs) Yes. And Creed is offering Michael some financial advice. He talks about how he needs to file for bankruptcy. Yes. He says bankruptcy is nature's (laughs) do-over. Thanks, Creed. And then Creed has a talking head where he explains that he just transfers his debt to William Charles Schneider and he holds up a passport. And the passport says the birthday is February 8th, 1943. Now, February 8th is Creed's birthday. So I caught that right away. Yeah, guys. William Charles Schneider 
is Creed Bratton's real legal name. That is his birthday, and he is holding up his actual <laughs> real-life passport. I just can imagine Creed being like, guys, I'll bring in my passport. And they're like, okay. Well, I texted Creed about it, and he did, in fact, bring in his real passport for this scene. Amazing. And he said that after the first take, Greg said, Creed, you might want to just cover up your passport number with your finger. <laughs> because that's a real legal document. Yes, Creed. So Creed did. Creed held it up in such a way that you could see some of the information, but not the rest. So amazing. Amazing. Well, I want to say also, Angela, in this kitchen scene, I noticed another flyer, this time for Sal's Pizza Uh in Scranton. This is also a real place. We're not going to call it. (laughs) But it was founded by two brothers, Sal and Nick Lupoli in Salem, New Hampshire. Their Scranton location is now closed. But I will tell you, they are the home of the famous 19-inch three-pound pizza. Dang. And you can still get it in New Hampshire, but the Scranton location is now closed. I have more pizza info for you. Oh, okay. Buckle in. Fan catch from Megan Smith. At 28 minutes, 26 seconds, you can see a flyer for City Slice Pizza. Okay. This is also a real pizza place in Scranton, and it is right near the University of Scranton campus. Megan would like you to know that she used to work there as a pizza delivery driver, and their buffalo chicken pizza is incredible. Lady, this got me wondering. Oh, God, I'm in. I'm in. What is the best pizza in Scranton? We talk about the pizza in Scranton on the show. We have flyers for pizza in Scranton on the show. I had to know. I feel like this is like when you go to the South and you ask someone, where's the best barbecue? You will get like 10 incredibly passionate answers. You are correct. Okay, let's hear it. According to TripAdvisor, the best pizza in Scranton is a little pizza heaven. Okay. According to Yelp, it's Marconi's Pizza House. And incidentally, Yelp rated a little pizza heaven number two. Alfredo's, which is featured on our show... Mm -hmm was number three on Yelp and number four on TripAdvisor, but it is in the top five. But when I consulted two local blogs written by residents of Scranton, they both declared that the number one pizza in Scranton is Vincenzo's Pizzeria. So there you have it. Okay. I think, Angela, when we go on our trip to Scranton, we should try all these pizzas and decide for ourselves. We should do that. We should also go to Poor Richard's. And now we need to go to Terry's Diner, which is actually in Musick. Listen, we've got a whole like Pennsylvania tour ahead of us. We are going to eat our way through Pennsylvania, clearly. <laughs> okay. I can't wait. I can't wait either. This is going to be a fun trip. It really is. Okay. Well, I really need to talk about Michael's talking head that's coming up. Lady, before we leave the kitchen, I just have to say one more thing. Okay. Why did Creed have a sugar dish positioned right in front of himself on the edge of the table during this entire scene? (laughs) It's so odd. He does not have a cup of coffee or tea. He has no food. But for whatever reason, he has moved the sugar dish right in front of him. Check it out, everybody. Maybe he had a spot on his shirt and they didn't have time to change it. <laughs> and they just are hiding it with the sugar dish. That's my that's my theory. 
I wonder sometimes because Creed would make choices in scenes that were very random and very funny. And maybe there's some improv that happened that got cut out. I don't know. But it was very obvious to me that for some reason, the sugar dish ended up there. It's a mystery. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, let's talk about Michael's talking head because it's pretty amazing. Okay. Well, I have labeled this talking head. Here's your damn spinoff. <laughs> so Creed has told Michael that declaring bankruptcy is this do-over. It's like going in the witness protection program. Michael lights up like a Christmas tree. He has a talking head where he says he's always wanted to be in the witness protection program. He's even already picked out his other name, his other identity. Are you ready? He is Lord Rupert Everton. He is a shipping merchant who raises fancy dogs. I need to see it. There's your damn spinoff. Michael Scott pretending to be a shipping merchant who raises fancy dogs. It's a must see. I would watch that. And you know they would probably like put him in Arizona, not near any water, but he's a shipping merchant (laughs) raising fancy dogs. And he legally changes his name to Lord Rupert Everton. Peacock. Peacock. Are you listening? (laughs) Peacock. This leads to one of the most famous moments on The Office when Michael enters the bullpen and loudly declares bankruptcy. And Jenna, it was so hard not to laugh. And I knew I couldn't laugh because I was standing on a stool at the supply closet. Yeah, they moved you over. I am right by him. Yes. Well, we had a question from Hannah Yen. Who had the idea for Michael to yell, I declare bankruptcy in the bullpen? Guys, this was a pitch from writer Lee Eisenberg. He told me that when he pitched the line, he actually performed it for Paul. (laughs) And he'll never forget it. Well done. Well done, Lee. Lee Eisenberg. But yes, just classic line, so fun. And by the way, Steve did a little play on that for our New Year's message where he declared Happy New Year. He did. Just warmed my heart. I know, me too. Well, you guys, I declare a break. I love it. Yes, I declare a break as well. We'll be back to break down the second half of this episode in just a moment. Well, folks, you know I have a lot of family in Texas, and I just want you to know, if you travel to Texas, there are vast landscapes, cultures, regions, destinations, activities that allow for an infinite number of different travel experiences. You can have fun in the sun. Texas has 350 miles of coastline. That's right. Or if you like more of a rugged vacation, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, state parks, and the food. Can we talk about the food? Tex-Mex. And barbecue. There's live music, art museums, cowboy experiences. Come on. Right now, Travel Texas offers a -a one-of-the-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom visually-led trip matched to their unique interests. So you go in there and you click your interests and it'll say, here's where you want to go in Texas. Mm Mm-hmm. Visit TravelTexas.com slash get your own to get the only trip to Texas that matters, yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash get your own. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% 
93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed to connect with candidates faster by scheduling, screening, and messaging. And Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 23 hires were made on Indeed every minute, according to Indeed Data Worldwide. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash OfficeLadies. Just go to Indeed.com slash OfficeLadies right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash OfficeLadies. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, we are back. Oscar and Michael are in the conference room and Oscar is going through all of Michael's financial records. We are really going to get some insight into where all of Michael's money has gone. Well, you know, Jenna, leading up to the scene, there was a deleted scene where Michael is begging Oscar to sort of go through his finances with him. And Oscar does not want to do it. He's like, no, I'm not going to do it. And Michael says, if, if you help me with this, I will pay you $4,000 in coupons, credits, and back rubs, or I'll give you $5,000 cash. <laughs> and, and Oscar's like, I'm starting to see how you got in this situation. It's interesting because at the beginning of Money Part 1, it's sort of implied that Jan is the root of Michael's financial problems, that she's doing this renovation of the condo and she's spending a ton of money. She got a Porsche. They got a Porsche. But as we see in this scene, perhaps Michael has contributed to some of these problems. They certainly don't help each other out because in deleted scenes, Oscar also lists some of Jan's expenses. Oh, well, good. Yeah. Good. Because it did seem like she was a big part of this problem. Oh, she is. Well, in this scene, we find out that Michael spent $125 on the Best of the Muppet Show DVD. I looked it up on Amazon. I could not find this DVD. I don't know if anyone cares, but <laughs> I looked it up. I couldn't find it. I found a lot of other box sets, but none of them were $125. I looked up the Core Blaster Extreme. So did I. Which Michael spent $1,200 on. <laughs> yes. Could not find that either. I couldn't find it either. But you know what? It's so believable that this contraption would exist and that he would spend that money on it. Well, Michael says the Marine Corps uses this and it's where they got the core in their name. Is from the Core Blaster Extreme, even though they don't spell it the same. Exactly. Michael is having a very hard time grasping the gravity of this situation. And ultimately, Oscar encourages Michael to call Jan. Yes, he does not want her to know his money problems. And, and Kevin, by the way, also agrees with him. Yeah, let's keep our money problems away from the women. <laughs> like, Kevin. Kevin! Well, meanwhile, over in accounting... Andy is about to give Angela a present. Yes, Andy gives Angela this cat that he says he found by Vance Refrigeration. Now, we had a lot of people write in about this and say that they believe this is the same cat that Dwight gave Angela. Garbage. They believe it's garbage. And you know what? I stand corrected. I think they're right. I stand corrected as well. We wondered about this a few episodes ago. Yes, 
This is totally meant to be garbage, which is now going to be renamed Bandit. That's right. Who you will eventually throw in the ceiling. We'll get there. Who will live in my drawer? (laughs) (laughs) So crazy. So, yes, guys, thank you for writing in. You're right. We are watching this in real time, everyone. So (laughs) we now agree with you. Here's something kind of interesting. If you watch the DVDs, the DVDs have like little screen savers, you know, Mm -hmm. if you go to like commentary or deleted scenes or bonus features, there's little screen savers. For this episode, there's a very cute DVD screen saver of a little cat poking its head out of the box and meowing with Andy's dialogue. I'll put it up on Office Ladies Pod. Now, what I don't know, Angela, is if we used the same cat actor. It looks very similar, and it seems just as sort of like weirdly snugly and comfortable in your arms as it was in Rain's. Weirdly snugly comfortable? No, wanting to climb us like a tree and catapult off our head. So I think it's the same cat because that cat wanted to leap through the air (laughs) off of me, using me as a diving board. I think it was anticipating a future episode where it would be (laughs) where we'd have to fly in the air. No, I guess what I'm saying is we set this up as some sort of feral cat, but it clearly is just fine being around humans. If it can crawl and jump off them. Yes, there you are. (laughs) Well, listen, Dwight is clocking all of this interaction between Andy and Angela. He has to go out by the dumpster and play his recorder. He's so depressed. So depressed. He's playing You Give Love a Bad Name Mm -hmm. by Bon Jovi. I know. He's not in a good place. He's not in a good place. Jim and Pam notice and they want to try to make him feel better. So they write their glowing review of Shroot Farms on TripAdvisor. Mm -hmm. The coveted TripAdvisor. He seems to like it. And Pam is really genuine. Pam's like, we really did enjoy our stay. She means it. She does. You know, again, the thing we've been pointing out that Pam is Dwight's best friend. Pam may not know that, but you can see time and again where Dwight would see Pam coming through for him. Yeah. Michael has managed to get Jan on speakerphone and he's going to tell her about their money troubles. And she does exactly what he feared. She's like, how could you? Yeah. She's disappointed in him and she's judging him and he can't take it. He runs away. What's interesting in this scene is there is sort of a whip pan to the window Mm -hmm. and you see this train going by outside and then it whips back into the scene. Well, I want people to know that the actual window in the conference room where Oscar and Michael are having their scene That's a window to nothing. That's a window to a painted screen. Right. On the other side of the painted screen was our craft service table with our snacks. Yes. They're in a warehouse. So they did one of those little magical cuts here where they went up to Paul Lieberstein's office and they whipped to the window and out Paul Lieberstein's writing office. There really was a train yard and there really were trains that went by. Yes. And what they had to do was they would cut in the middle of that whip such that you couldn't tell. And they inserted that little shot of the train going by because that did not actually happen in the scene because it was impossible. That is absolutely true. Every day we drove to work down Satakoy. We passed a gunnery. We passed a crematorium. And we passed a working train 
like tracks and and a junkyard and a junkyard dog. All of that was right there. And all of that was out Paul Lieberstein's window. A room with a view. And it was like a just a freight train. There was not a passenger train. You know what I love about this is that the view from the writer's rooms was actually like woven into this episode. And I just kind of love that. I used to say that if we were ever confronted with an actual zombie apocalypse in real life while Mm -hmm. working on The Office, we'd be in a great position because we could head over to the gunnery, Mm -hmm. arm ourselves, and then hop the train. Yes. It just felt like, you know, a good spot to be in should zombies suddenly overrun the world. Listen, I know there's no zombies in it, but I'm pretty sure John Wick would agree. He'd have his gunnery. He'd have some transportation. Jenna, I finally watched all the John Wick movies like you told me to. You watched all of them? What are you talking about? You told me to go watch them all. You said you have to see the John Wick movies. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? I said watch Keanu Reeves movies. Like, no, you told me. Like Speed and The Matrix. Hold up, lady. You told me to watch the John Wick movie. You said you, Sam, Sam. No, I, Sam. Guys. For taking this to court, you did very excitedly. This has come up multiple times. You told me to watch John Wick. How good the movies are, how attractive he is in the movies. Lady, how many are there? There are three. I've seen all three and a fourth one's coming out. (laughs) I did a marathon of them. Okay, here's the thing. I spoke passionately about my love of Keanu Reeves movies, how they were getting me through the pandemic. I watched the first half of the first John Wick movie, but we couldn't finish it all in one night. Now, listen, I loved it. Look at my face right now. I loved the coins. I loved how he had his coffee cups on a little towel next to his coffee machine. And Lee and I started doing that because we were inspired by what we saw in the John Wick movie. But we didn't finish it. Shut Because, you know, we rented it and then the rental ran out. Shut the front door. You gave me this whole call to action. Which, by the way, now that I know you haven't even finished the first one. Now it makes sense to me why you went on and on about that towel by his coffee mug because you never see that again. That's like (laughs) five seconds. And then it's nothing but ass kicking for three movies. Listen, there's no more coffee mug. His whole house burns down. (laughs) They blow his house up. So now it makes sense to me. And I said, I watched it with Josh. I was like, Josh, we have to watch John Wick. Jenna said we have to watch it. And then I'm looking for the coffee pot. And I'm like... Why is she talking so much about this coffee pot? Now it makes sense. You've only seen like 20 minutes of the movie. I saw the whole first half. Here's where I ended. He's been really injured after a big fight at that weird club where all the, you know, assassins Yes, he constantly goes to a rave. A a gazillion assassins always are at a rave. Yes, and he gets really wounded, and then that doctor, like, shoots him up with adrenaline, and he should definitely be resting, and he's about to go out and do more ass-kicking, and I was tired, and I was (laughs) worried for him. You know, I told you I don't like it when people who have injuries continue to injure themselves. I needed a break. Well, then you might as well not watch the rest because he literally gets stitched up and then people punch him in his stitches. No! And also, he is running. He is limping through like Rome or somewhere. Rome? 
How does he get to Rome? Second movie, second movie. And I literally turned to Josh and I said, you know what I can't handle right now is if he gets hit by another car. And literally three seconds after I said that, a car runs over him and sends him flying in the air. Sorry, that was a really long tangent for us guys, but mouth agape. I am now the John Wick expert. How the hell did that happen? Well, I feel like I should watch them. Well, I think you should. I think I will. But get ready because there's a lot of wound on wound. I don't like seeing wound on wound. Well, it's hard for me. (laughs) Okay. I don't know. Where are we? Well, here we are. Angela walks over to Andy. She's holding the crazy cat. Mm -hmm. And she says, you may ask me out to dinner. Yes, she says, nothing fancy or foreign, no bars, no patios, no vegetables, and no seafood. What's up with no vegetables? I don't know. She's a vegetarian. What does she eat? Are you going to eat, what, rice, pasta? What will you eat? My cauliflower spaghetti. That's a vegetable. I know. Cauliflower spaghetti. Hold the cauliflower. She's not going to make it easy on Andy, for sure. Well, Dwight is crushed. He runs to his stairwell. This is where he goes to pump himself up or maybe where he goes to deal with sad feelings. This is his, I guess, little spot. This is his emotional nook. Yeah. And Jim follows him. He tries to comfort him. And it's really sweet because he kind of talks about his relationship with Pam and his own heartbreak. Listen, you know, I watched this episode three times. And the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, that's so sweet of Jim. He's giving Dwight a pep talk. Okay. By the third time I watched it, I was like, some flippin' pep talk. I mean, this would like depress the hell out of me. Like, is this the speech you say? This is what he said. I mean, she was with Roy, right? Talking about Pam. And then he says, and I quote, I just couldn't take it. I mean, I lost it, Dwight. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't concentrate on anything. Even weird stuff like food had no taste. So my solution was to move away. It was awful. It was something that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. Pep talk? But Jim and Pam are together now. So is the rest of that scene that he's sort of saying, like, listen, I've been where you are, but look where I am now. It's going to be okay. He just doesn't say that part. He doesn't say any of that. Yeah. He literally says, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy, and that includes you. And then he leaves. Well, he has to go kiss Pam. He has to go fall in love with Italian food. Yeah, he loves Italian food. I'm just saying, Jim, your, like, speech to make him feel better, you only delivered half of it. Yes. True. You needed the second half where it was like, buddy, look at me. I'm on the other side of it. I made it. We made it. You guys have a shot. Don't give up. Yes, that part is missing. Sorry, I'm still hot and bothered about John Wick. So I'm taking it out on Jim. I mean, I'm very sorry. Did you enjoy the films when you watched them at least? You watched all three. If you didn't like the first one, I can't imagine you would have watched two more just because I said. Lady, I would not half-ass watch something my friend told me to watch. Oh, well, I never finished Game of Thrones. I know. I couldn't do it. Okay, let's not salt in the wound. I'm sorry. I made you watch all of the John Wicks and I never finished Game of Thrones. Well, I'm going to watch the fourth one now because now John Wick is pissed. Now he is? Oh, he's super pissed now. He seemed like he had a lot of reasons to be pissed after the first 45 minutes of the first film. Oh, yeah. Well, there's that. 
Well, he's got more ass to kick, and now he's going to be doing it with Lawrence Fishburne. Oh. Yeah. That's very interesting. Okay, where are we? Well, Jan has arrived. Oh, God. Oh, it's so good. Because Michael has run off. Oh, I laughed so hard when she got out of the car and threw her keys at Oscar and hits him in the gut. Yeah. And when she throws her keys at Oscar at 38 minutes, seven seconds, you will see in the deep background, Kelly and Daryl leaning on Daryl's truck talking. Now, is that where the deleted scene would have gone? Were they talking by the dumpster? No, they weren't. So the deleted scene does happen in the warehouse. And it would have happened around this time. But Kelly walks up to Daryl and says, hey, I made you an Apology Mix CD. Oh. (laughs) An Apology Mix. And Daryl says, that's a lot of Michelle Branch. I'm never going to listen to these songs (laughs) ever. (laughs) And Kelly is kind of being flirty. She thinks they've made up. And Daryl is like, listen, this doesn't fix things. So do you think the two of them standing by the dumpster is post deleted scene or pre-deleted scene? It feels like it's post. I feel like it's post. I feel like they just decided to leave it more to chance, right? Sure. Well, Jan manages to find Michael. He is sitting on a train car and she tells him, listen, I'm here for you. No matter what you're going through, you were there for me. I'm there for you. It's kind of a sweet scene in their own way. It really is. And and she's hilarious in it. She's like, listen, you were there for me when even my own family wasn't there for me. They're still not talking to me under the advice of counsel. (laughs) Like, what is Jan's family dynamic? Well, we had some fan questions from Catalina Rizzi, Haley McCoy, Sophia Spear, and Kate Walquist. They were all curious, where was Michael's train scene shot? Well, I'll tell you, it was not shot in the train yard by our set. It wasn't shot across the street? It was not. Wouldn't that have been convenient? It would have, but instead they drove all the way to Fillmore, California, and they shot it at the Fillmore Western Railway. Oh. It's a little bit of info from Kentopedia. Thank you, Kentopedia. Mm-hmm. Back in the office... Dwight comes back to his desk. It looks like he has a new resolve, doesn't it? He kind of sits down and he gets on the phone. He's being assertive, making a call. He looks at Jim's desk and sees the pile of paper, grabs a ruler, starts shoving them back over. And Jim and Pam have this moment of like, well, Dwight's back. Yes. I have a little background catch I want to point out. Oh, me too. You go first. At 35 minutes, five seconds. We'll toggle back in time here, guys. There are no messy papers on Jim's desk when Angela is holding the squirrely cat. Yep. There's no messy papers. Mm -hmm. And then at 40 minutes, 37 seconds, when Dwight is about to shove everything aside, there are tons of papers. Tons. Jim did so much work in that 10 minutes. And was messy about it. Very messy. Well, at 40 minutes, 32 seconds, piled up in front of Jim and Dwight's desks, There are a ton of boxes. Yes. And they are from Boise Cascade. And I just want to let you know that my dad worked for Boise Cascade in St. Louis, Missouri when I was a little girl. And he used to sometimes take me to work with him. And it was so fun. And we would eat in the cafeteria. And I would sit on the floor of his office and I would do coloring pages. But Boise Cascade, I was like, oh, my gosh. And by the way, as a kid... 
we had tons of paper with the Boise Cascade watermark on it because they sold paper. Was that just a coincidence, Jenna, that this company, it had nothing to do with you. It just happened to be there. Total coincidence. But I remember being on set and noticing this set decoration and then talking to those guys all about how my dad worked for that company. And it was sort of a fun thing then when my family would see the episodes. Yeah. And we'd be like, oh my gosh, dad's company, Boise Cascade. Oh, that's so cute. I never knew that. Yeah. Well, our final scene is this really sweet moment of Michael and Jan. They're walking off and Michael's saying, don't give back your implants. And she's like, I won't. I know you love them. And then they kind of have this back and forth. That was all improvised. Amazing. They are so great together. They're so great together. What great acting partners, Melora and Steve. Yes. It is such a blessing when you get paired with someone who you have that kind of chemistry with. Mm -hmm. They did such a good job casting the show. Allison Jones is just amazing. And we were all so lucky. So incredibly lucky. We say it all the time. We still feel lucky now. And we're just so thankful for you guys that listen in every week. We love this community. Jen, I just want to take a quick personal moment. You know, this is our first episode back uh, recording since before the holidays. And my family and I got sick over the holidays. We had COVID and it was a scary time. You know, the Office Ladies fans were so, so supportive and kind and wrote me messages. The um, Facebook Office Ladies account did a whole video and I watched it. My mom watched it. My husband and kids watched it. It was very moving for us to see this wonderful community. And it, it meant so much to me. I will never forget it. Angela, you shared that video with me. I cried because you're my best friend. And I know what that experience was like for you. And these loving messages, just the sweetest things. They're just saying like, lady, get better. And sending pictures of hummingbirds to try to cheer you up. It's like, you know, it felt like a group of friends. Yes, it did. Reaching out, sending you just well wishes. And I have to say that the intimacy of this community is really real for us too. And yeah, thanks for being there for my friend, you guys. Aww. Well, we will be here next week. We have a really special episode, someone we're so thrilled to talk to. Randall Einhorn, our cinematographer and director from The Office, is going to be our special guest, and we are going to revisit everything we missed and deep dive with Randall. We'll see you guys then. Bye. Thank you for listening to Office Ladies. Office Ladies is produced by Earwolf, Jenna Fisher, and Angela Kinsey. Our show is executive produced by Cody Fisher. Our producer is Cassie Jerkins. Our sound engineer is Sam Kiefer. And our associate producer is Ainsley Bubico. Our theme song is Rubber Tree by Creed Bratton. For ad-free versions of Office Ladies, go to stitcherpremium.com. For a free one-month trial of Stitcher Premium, use code OFFICE. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Life is a highway. 
And on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.